So I titled my message, Radical and Fanatical. Okay, so when we hear these words today, we, we kind of think of people on the far right or the far left of the political spectrum. And we've definitely experienced some radical and fanatical behavior over the last number of months, especially around the election. But if we look at the meaning of the word fanatical, it means filled with excessive and single-minded zeal. One online definition says excessive enthusiasm. So I ask this question, when is the last time we've shown excessive enthusiasm for something other than our favorite sports team? If some cheered and championed Jesus the way they do their sports teams, we may just have a revival. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> Radical can be defined a few ways, but I like what the Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary says. This is very different from the usual or traditional or favoring extreme changes in existing views, habits, conditions, or institutions. I think that maybe Christians today can be viewed as these two words for taking a stand for biblical principles. Sadly, I see very few taking a stand. Instead, we get swept along with the tide of the, the worldly views in a lot of cases. Maybe, just maybe, if we, we need to start being a bit more radical and fanatical in, re, in regards to the biblical view of Christianity. Notice I didn't say obnoxious and arrogant. Okay? How many of us are sure we can stand in front of God and not hear him say, depart from me, I never knew you? Have we become lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, as talked about in Revelations 3.16? It actually says, but since you are lukewarm like, uh, like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. To live a life for Christ will require discipline. There's our favorite word, right? <laughs> discipline. But if we do, some really great things happen if we discipline ourselves. And Hebrews 12.11 speaks about this. It says, Now all discipline seems to be more pain than pleasure at the time, yet later it will produce a transformation of character, bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who yield to it. So the word discipline can also be translated as correction, instruction, and training. I would suggest that God is actually radical and fanatical about you and me, about mankind. And in turn, we should be radical and fanatical about him. In a book called A Disruptive Faith, the author has compiled teachings of A.W. Tozer. And in the first chapter, it's, he says this, mankind, listen to this, mankind fixed in God's mind is a nail driven into hard wood and God cannot escape it. I do not know that God wants to escape it, but I know that the nature of God is such that he cannot escape it. God, God's love for mankind is a hurt a wound of the heart. Man's treachery has deeply wounded him, but he is caught in the sweet and painful meshes of his own love. He is impaled, so to speak, on the point of his own great love for mankind. What a description about how he loves us. Tozer goes on to say, I believe this is true. I believe it in my living, in my preaching, and in my prayers. I believe that it can be said of man, God is mindful of him. Just as a mother is mindful of a child, God is mindful of a man only infinitely more. For it's possible for a mother to forsake and forget her child. Usually a mother's love will last, um, but sometimes even a mother's love gives way. But the love of God is such that it can never end. God remains caught in the web of his own mighty love. 
Man, with all his treachery, all of his sinfulness, imprudence, and evil, remains a fixture in the mind of God. You are a fixture in the mind of God. And that's some pretty radical and fanatical love that God has for us. So our first point is we need to have a, a radical new way of thinking. Okay, Romans 12, 1 to 3, and I bring it this, um, from the Passion Translation here. It says, Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be His sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights His heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you. One other translation says, don't be squeezed into the mold of this present age. But be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in His eyes. Who wants a satisfying and perfect in His eyes type of life? I think we could all raise our hands to that. So in response to the God who has given himself to us, we are actually called or urged to give ourselves to him as living sacrifices. But it all has to start in our heads. We need to think rightly. A, tra a transformation that flows from the renewing of our minds, we have to reject the patterns or the values and foolishness of this world's thinking, especially sometimes our own inflated ideals of ourselves. We need to sober up and face the truth of who we are. Just like the Corinthians who each thought their own gifts was the most important, we can think more highly of ourselves than we ought to at times and therefore deny our need for others. However, this new way of thinking calls us to point two this morning, a radical new way of living. <clears throat> Here's what it looks like. Romans 12, 9 to 13 let the inner movement of your heart always be to love one another and never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. Despise evil and embrace everything that is good and virtuous. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor of one another. I love that translation of this. Verse 11, be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion towards him boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. Are you excited as you serve him? We should be according to the word. Verse 12, let this hope burst forth within you, releasing a continual joy. Don't give up in times of trouble. Another translation says, bear your afflictions bravely but commune with God at all times. And verse 13, take a constant interest in the needs of God's beloved people and respond by helping them and eagerly welcome people as guests into your home. So let's summarize what we have here. We're, a call, we're called to a sincere, devoted love honoring others over ourselves. Have we seen a lot of that lately? We need to be genuine in our interactions. Love is to be the guiding principle in Christian relationships, not only with fellow believers, but also with enemies as well. In verse 14, he tells us to speak blessing, not cursing over those who reject and persecute you. Paul mentions many other specific Christian duties that are 
to characterize transformed living, but love is the dominant theme through all of them. Okay? This word honor mentioned in, in verse 10, it says, try to outdo yourselves with respect and honor to one another. I want to spend a moment talking about honor here. And I pulled this excerpt from Chris Vallotton's book, The Supernatural Ways of Royalty. Chris says, honor has been absent from, church, from the church's mindset for so long that we often dishonor people when we minister without even realizing it. He goes on to recount a story about how their church was preaching specifically to youth in a series of messages and in doing so was actually dishonoring the older people because they were catering so much to the youth. And then God spoke to him one day and he said the, that God told him that revival is not coming from the youth but from, from one generation, young to old, old to young. Chris goes on to say that God reminded him of the passage in the book of Acts that says, it shall be in the last days, God says, I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall see dreams. So take note that revival does not have, to, does not have a gender, a generation or a social, social class. God went on to show him that every time the youth message was preached, the middle-aged and elderly were being told through omission that they weren't as important or valued anymore. He told them that the devil knew that he couldn't stop worldwide revival by resisting it. So listen to this. He tried to curse the planet by separating the generations. It's good. Gets better. Listen up. Honor is one of the greatest attributes. I, I say that because Chris wrote it, not me. <laughs> I don't want to sound conceited. It gets better. Uh, Chris said this. His honor is one of the greatest attributes of nobility in the entire Bible. When the kingdom is present inside us, honorable, honorable behavior comes naturally to us. We give honor to all men, not just because they deserve it, but because also we are honorable citizens of the king. When we walk into our royal call, our behavior is not determined by the temporal environment but by the internal environment that lies inside of us. It's not based on what's going on around us, or it shouldn't be. It should be based on what's inside of us, who is Jesus, right? Holy Spirit. Whenever we treat people honorably, even if they refuse to honor us, we demonstrate that we have a standard within us that isn't determined by the people around us. We don't just honor people because they are honorable. We honor people because we are honorable. For a Christian, honor is a condition of the heart, not just a product of a good environment. Honor doesn't mean we agree with the people we are honoring. It simply means we value them as people who have been created in the image and likeness of God. One thing we can use more today is valuing people. We also see in these verses that we need to have a zeal in serving that does not give up, and that was verse 11 and 12. And then a sacrificial care for others is spoken about in verse 13. Hospitality is the fruit of a transformed, spirit-filled life. It is showing an interest in others and giving ourselves to loving and supporting them, even as God does for us. And that's talked about in Philippians 2.4. It says, abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. That's hard sometimes to put others above ourselves. 
Romans 12, 15 and 16 says this. It says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position and do not be conceited. So our point three is we need to have an acceptance of your fellowship as your family. This is a beautiful vision to live out God's love with the family of God. So not just us, fellow Christians, fellow believers. <laughs> it is a great calling and sometimes a huge challenge. <laughs> it's so actually big, I'd have to say it, sometimes it feels like it's impossible. I don't find a command to rejoice with those who rejoice as enabling me to genuinely celebrate at times. It simply exposes my deep-seated selfishness and my independence. J. Vernon McGee recounted a hymn verse something like this. It said, Oh, to dwell with the saints above, that will be glory. But to dwell with the saints here below is another story. Amen. <laughs> Imagine a world where every Christian set aside all selfishness and lived out verse 15 and 16, wholly and completely giving up self to operate in a spirit of humility and harmony. Would that not scream to this divided world that maybe, just maybe, we have the answer? My com commentary on these verses uses some interesting words to describe what needs to take place in order for us to truly live out God's love. It said, we require a complete renovation of the heart. I love that, renovation of the heart. And if you look up re what renovation means, it actually means the act or process of repairing, renewing, or restoring to good condition. If you had to pick out one life or heart renovation you need to complete this week in order to fully, more fully live out Christ's love, what would it be? What word just popped into your head when I asked that question? Is it forgiveness? More love? Maybe to slow down? Pray more? Get into the word more? Maybe listen a little bit more? Whatever he pointed out to you when I talked about this renovation that needs to take place, go to work on, the, on it this week. Don't wait. Start today. Now, as, as if loving the family of God was not hard enough at times, it becomes even a greater challenge when we are required to, point four, love those who hate you. Romans 12, 17 to 21 says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, what does it say? Feed him. If he's thirsty, what do we do? Give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I love this idea. Live in peace. Leave room for God's wrath and especially overcome evil with good. I love that. But again, how can I be commanded to not take revenge when I've been wronged, right? This sort of fight, you know, fights everything within us, every natural impulse within, within us at times. We just want to get back at the person who has hurt us. You know, what's the saying? Revenge is a dish best served cold, right? But not in God's eyes. We are, according, uh, we are, according to Romans 12, 14, to bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. 
So not only do we not retaliate, but we have to give gifts to those who hurt us. <laughs> what? Seriously, Lord? But they did this, or they did that. I found a story online that illustrates how not letting go of past hurts can negatively impact your life. And it's from an article titled, The Power of Spoken Blessings. It says, when we experience abuse from others, our natural response is to strike back. Pride prompts us to return hurt for hurt and insult for insult. However, God instructs us to love our enemies. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for or bless, it says in some translations, those who persecute you. And in my Bible, those letters are in red. Some translations use the word, use curse instead of the word persecute. And when scripture speaks about blessing those who curse us, the cursing can include anything from insults to reproaches and verbal offenses of all kinds. And many people can actually struggle for weeks, months, or even years as a result of wounds caused by these curses. But a blessing can break the bondage of a curse. Although a curse always has potential to do great evil, a blessing has the potential to accomplish greater good. So as difficult as it is sometimes, we need to bless those who curse us. So once a young woman was deeply offended by her supervisor when her supervisor criticized and belittled her. She could not forget her supervisor's stinging words, and she, be, and she became increasingly bitter and angry as time passed. She testified, I carried that hurt into college, and without knowing it, I was in bondage to a curse. I started struggling in school and failed three exams in a row. I never had a problem with school before. I then became consumed with my studies so I would not fail any more exams. I lost my focus so that God was no longer number one in my life. I had sacrificed my relationships with people and ultimately my time with the Lord by working on projects and my studies. One day when I was on summer break, the Lord really spoke to me. I realized that I could not honestly say I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. At about the same time, this student heard a message about the value of blessing those who curse us. She later testified, I went to my room and closed the door and I cried out to God to bless me and I asked him to bless my former supervisor and his family. Listen to this, instantly, she says, instantly I felt as if the chains have been lifted off of me. I felt an incredible freedom that I had not experienced before and the joy that I now feel is overwhelming. So we have to bless those who revile you. One of the biblical terms for someone who speaks abusive words is a reviler. Reviling comes from the heart of scorn and contempt and is a means of verbally attacking a person as an expression of anger or hatred. A reviler intends to vilify or to defame, to bring shame or to discredit someone or to attribute evil motives onto another person. God's word condemns reviling. The Apostle Paul instructs the Corinthian believers not to keep company with a believer who is a reviler. 1 Corinthians 5.11. And he also said that revilers are among those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Jesus was reviled and immediately prior to his crucifixion. Roman soldiers not only scourged him, but they mocked and belittled him as well. However, Jesus set the example we are to follow in returning blessing for cursing and, he commi and committing himself into the Heavenly Father's care. 
If we look at 1 Peter 2.23, he did not realize when he was, he did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He, let the, he left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. If we bless those who hurt us, God will take re full responsibility for whatever punishment should be administered to offenders. It is not our responsibility to overcome evil with it is our responsibility, sorry, to overcome evil with good. And speaking words of blessings is one way to do that. So the next time somebody attacks you, bless them. Pray for them. Freedom from an emotional, often vengeful reaction and genuine love for our offender are the immediate rewards of a blessing of blessing a reviler. When a person is reviled, the resulting anguish can easily develop into emotional grief and bitterness. However, if by faith that person chooses to bless his offender rather than curse him, evil will effectively be overcome with good. Many people have testified over, over, to overcoming years of bitterness that began when they were cursed or abused during childhood. And these abused individuals blessed their offenders. Often their bitterness disappeared immediately. So I'd encourage you, if you're hanging on to anything, Now's the time to bless those who hurt you and have those chains finally lifted off. Have some freedom. So apart from God's marvelous grace, you will be unable to bless those who curse you, but with God, nothing is impossible. So how do we live out this radical, fanatical life? We can't just start feeling and acting like we care when our hearts are hardened against God's ways and others, but we can turn from our sinful, rebellious, false thinking and start agreeing with God's thoughts. We need transformed minds that face the truth as God has revealed it. Our thinking is our big problem sometimes. We analyze as if we are in control, right? We strategize as if we could actually control others, but if we're honest... We know we are not designed to be God. So are we done acting like we and our lives are not as sweet-smelling as we'd like at times? <laughs> Don't forget, when I write messages, messages come to me, I'm really speaking to me as well, right? Like I know I have a lot of heart things that I need to take care of and let go of, so I'm not, no condemnation from me. It's just thoughts that God gave me and I wrote them down. So if we think that, emerging, emerge, that an immersion in the Psalms will insulate us from the abrasive news of the day, we are mistaken. We need to live as Christ in all situations. If we look at 1 Timothy 1, 16 and 17, it says, I can testify that the word is true and deserves to be received by all. For Jesus Christ came into this world to bring sinners back to life, even me, the worst sinner of all. Yet I was captured by grace so that Jesus Christ could display through me an outpouring of his spirit as a pattern to be seen for all those who would believe in him for eternal life. What are we showing when we're out in the world on a daily basis? Are we showing this pattern for all to see so they could believe in him and have eternal life? Just asking. Again, if we look back at Romans 12, 1, this time I'll read it from the NIV. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. 
This is your spiritual act of worship. So we need to have a, a radical new way of thinking, a radical new way of living. We need to live out God's love with the family of God, and we need to love those who hate us. And I believe that when we are as radical and fanatical about him as he is about us, wow, our life is going to be amazing. It's going to be blessed, and it's going to be exciting. And we will live out a, the Great Commission, and we may just see in our lifetime an incredible revival when we stop cursing and start blessing. So, Father God, I just thank you for this word today. I just pray that it would... Um, that we would just take it to heart, Father. And whatever was spoken to, you know, each individual here as, as these words came from this pulpit this morning, I just pray that you would help them and empower them to act on it. Father, that we would let go of those past hurts and those curses that have been spoken over us so that we can finally walk in the true freedom that only comes with knowing you and living Christ-like in our lives daily. Help us to be a blessing to others even when we don't agree with them. Help us to, and remind us to pray for those who curse us. Father, we just give this word to you, and we just thank you for this day, and we thank you for, the, again, this beautiful weather, and I just pray that you'd be with every person here and every person watching online as they go about their day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.